Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Uh, My usual co-host, Catherine Rubino, is not with us today. She's a healthy scratch, as you would say in hockey. So I am joined instead by Liz Dye of Blanquette and a Above the Law columnist. How are you? Hey. Hey. So um, for those who aren't reading Above the Law every day, which you should, uh, you are familiar that Liz covers a lot of our political-leaning commentary. And so we thought we would dedicate this episode to some legal political overlap news, I think is fair to say, Um, which, I mean, there's just not very much of that these days, but uh, we're going to find a way. Not at all. Yeah. So I guess we should uh, roll right into this and talk about uh, the attorney general. What's what's up with him? He's got a lot to say. Um, So yesterday he went on CNN with Wolf Blitzer to expound upon his exciting theories of who is a legitimate voter and whether voting fraud is real and whether there is actually racism and spoiler alert, there's not. So it it was a wild day. I mean, well, I don't know though it's fair that there's not. He just says that there's not in the criminal justice system. He's very convinced that it exists when Harvard has affirmative action policies, that he's sure that. that. (laughs) Right, right. I love that Bill Barr says black people don't get shot anymore than white people when they have guns. Like the Second Amendment only exists for white people. And if black people are in possession of any weapon at all, it's like free open season on them. It's, it's such a weird way to frame the frame it. Right. Well, and it, it was it was created. It, it almost seemed like he was playing linguistic games with that to say that because obviously we do have statistics that black folks are killed like in encounters with police about three times more right. likely than white people. But then he tossed in that gun thing. And you're like, is that? Oh, so then that like makes the numbers a little different. If a white person's waving a gun, it's almost the same. Yeah, that's actually consistently his frame. Mm -hmm. Um, He always likes to say when black people are unarmed, they're no more likely than white people to be shot by police, which is a really kind of strange thing for a, a pro Second Amendment guy to say. Right. Like so yesterday when he was talking to Wolf Blitzer, he was aggressively trying to differentiate Jacob Blake. Um, who was shot in Wisconsin, from George Floyd because he said George Floyd was unarmed. Um, And thus it was kind of totally legitimate for the cops to shoot Jacob Blake seven times. It's It's a very strange framing. Yeah. Well, and so he this was this was at least half of what he was talking about. He was also very deep into explaining uh, how voting works and how mail in voting is the biggest fraud of all time, uh, which. Right. Which which he knows because he just knows it. He believes that it's entirely coercive and that not the Russians, but the Chinese. He was very aggressive to say that it's only the Chinese. It's not really the Russians, which is not what any of the intel agencies have said. Um, are aggressively going to be photocopying ballots and, you know, submitting all kinds of fraudulent ballots. I mean, it's there's there's literally no proof that any of this ever happened. It's just a, an excuse to disinfect Well, as a, as a native of Oregon who has been voting entirely by mail for a quarter century, not that I've been, I mean, I don't live there anymore, so I haven't been doing it the whole time, but uh, 
as a state, they've been doing this now for a quarter century and uh, don't have any of these problems. And it's weird that every time we hear about mail-in balloting being a problem, no one looks at the empirical examples that we have right here in this very country where it happens and nobody seems to be defrauded. Right, which is exactly what Wolf Blitzer said. Blitzer said there are, you know, five states which vote entirely by mail and it's fine. And then Barr kind of presented with empirical evidence started you know, lost his mind and started waggling his finger and saying, like, this is a fire. This is a big fire, Wolf Blitzer. And, you know, it's not logical and it really doesn't reflect well on the profession. Yeah, no. And this is this is an interesting uh, question that we've been following at Above the Law for a bit now, which is uh, speaking of it not reflecting well on the profession, there is a nascent movement at his alma mater to get his honorary degree stripped from him. Uh, they, obviously, you can't take away his degree just because he's, you know, kind of a reprehensible person. But the alumni at George Washington have been arguing that honorary degrees that they've given him in the past should be taken away, given that he's reflecting badly on the profession. And it makes the law school by in that reflection look bad, which is an interesting idea and one that I, you know, have lent my support toward. Uh, but after an initial push from faculty and alumni to get this done, it seems to have floundered. Uh, so this might be a very good time to put another spotlight on the faculty there to uh, get something done. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of, it is a symbolic gesture, but I think there is value in members of the profession saying, you know, expressing disapprobation and saying all of these norms that you burnt down mattered. It is kind of, I think, incumbent upon us to lay down a marker and say, this is not okay, and you're going to get away with it. But we, as lawyers, do not approve. Yeah. And this dovetails, I mean, obviously, I'm going to turn this back to the story that has dominated my summer. Uh, not that I wanted it to, but has dominated my summer. This goes hand in hand, of course, with the fact that we're still forcing kids to do a bar exam because, well, we have to defend the professionalism. And it's like, right. well, if I don't know as though memorizing the rule against perpetuities is a reflection on the profession as much as making up uh, voter fraud statistics and hiding things from the government. Uh, these seem like a bigger problem. And that's a dude right. who passed. Um, so maybe the test right. isn't and, the problem. Know, an illustrious <laughs> career. Right. Yeah. I don't think that the profession is under attack from kids who haven't, you know, sort of studied this this black letter law. I think it's yeah. under attack by people who are burning down all of the norms and who have taken advantage of the the other people playing fair to not play fair and to say we can get away with it and to say like, well, we'll just get John Yu to kind of cough up a memo that says, pretend you believe it and then just keep doing it. And if the court stops you eventually, well, you got away with it in the interim. That's I, I, it, much greater danger to the profession than kids not sitting for the bar. I not was, kids, but, I was real, right. Of course. I, I, you know, I say that and then I instantly think, no, that's not, that's not accurate. Uh, examinees, applicants, uh, but I did love that John Yu managed to come up uh, this summer because I had him on my administration bingo card and I was real close and I didn't think he was going to make it. And then right there at the end. Uh, so yeah. uh, maybe it's time to transition slightly since we were talking about voting. Another issue that came up in that discussion, and this is a legal question that I, I need an answer to, uh, and you're going to stand in for my election law uh, expert awesome. here. Can you vote twice legally? 
Oh yeah, I vote twice every single year. No, I mean, you can't vote twice legally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just insane. And for Bill Barr to say, well, you know, I don't know. I have to think about it. I mean, it's it's really ridiculous. First, he you know he said, well, I don't think that that. So okay, so let's go back and say what the impetus for this story was, which was that in North Carolina yesterday, Trump told his voters to. Um, test the system by casting a mail-in ballot and then going to the polls and voting again on election day on the assumption that like, well, if the system works so well, your second vote will be thrown out, which is just, you know, blatantly illegal. In fact, one of his supporters got arrested in Iowa for voting twice in 2016. So, you know, it's there's there's no doubt about this. And first, Barr in his interview with Blitzer tried to kind of play it off and say, like, well, it's just like a metaphor. And Blitzer was like, no, no, it's really not. And then Barr said, well, maybe in North Carolina, you can kind of change your mind and like cast a second vote if you've decided that you don't like your first vote. He and then purported to kind of not know the laws in every jurisdiction. I mean, it was it's it's offensive. It's offensive to the profession for the top lawyer in the land to not be able to, you know, weigh in in any accurate way and to and to pretend ignorance on such a clear legal issue. Yeah. So the and, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that um, somebody did this last time there in New York. There was a case. I can't remember all the details of a woman who tried to vote twice for him in 2016. And the argument she made was she was relatively wealthy and she was like, no, I have two houses, so I'm voting now with this house, um, which- Cool. I mean, look, I the, to be perfectly originalist, uh, if voting is tied to being a property owner, maybe she's got a point. But uh, I don't think that's how uh, this, is, this has been working for quite some time now. So right. that's a good time for me to- uh, to preview something, which is that next week we're going to have a very special episode of this show. So uh, we're going to have CNN's newly minted election law expert, Professor Rick Hassan, who we've had on this show before, but he's going to come by and answer a series of questions that we'll have about election law and how it all works. So if you have been wondering how some of these finer points work, you will want to tune in for that. Uh, and if you're worried about the state of the election, well, he is too. And so he'll be able to talk a little bit about that. And you know what else if you're worried about? If you're worried about a contract deadline, Contract Tools by Paper Software is the most powerful, versatile, and fully featured Microsoft Word add-in for contracts. For less than a dollar a day, Contract Tools can help you navigate complex legalese, fix common contract drafting problems, and much more. See for yourself with a seven-day free trial. Go to papersoftware.com forward slash trial and get started today. Okay, so you have written uh, for us several times about the Michael Flynn case. This is the um, never ending, the never ending case of the you know former national security advisor who committed. Um, I think it's fair to say that he committed crimes since he confessed to them a couple of times, actually. Uh, yes, so, once, it, once in writing and twice in open court under oath. Yeah. So he's admitted that he did the things that constitute a crime, which normally is the end of a discussion. And indeed, it was the end of a discussion up until the administration decided they didn't like the idea that he was going to go to jail. And they changed things around at the Justice Department and made the argument that, well, we've decided we're not prosecuting this case anymore. This set up an interesting 
conundrum because in normal cases, you would say that the judge is not a prosecutor. Uh, those are separate powers. And so if the government chooses not to pursue a case, then that means the case should end. That said, we aren't really at the stage of the government choosing to prosecute. We are past that. We have already right, gotten we're at sentencing. <laughs> we've got a conviction and we're at sentencing. And as right. I like to point out, like as somebody who th this is my wheelhouse since I did defense work, like this is the point where the government they write letters of recommendation and say this is what we think the sentence should be, and the right. judge can choose to ignore those. This is entirely the judge's court now, and the government should have no say here. So the idea of the government being able to put the end to this after this stage has been reached is a bit of a stretch. Uh, nonetheless, there is a specific rule about closing down cases generally, and that requires that the judge at least sign off on it uh, once it's gotten to a certain stage, frankly, a stage before this one, but put that aside. And so the judge said, uh, well, if I have to make a decision on whether or not this is okay, I would like to see a brief about this. Which brings us to the next thing that happened, which was it got appealed to judges on the D.C. Circuit, uh, one of whom is best described as a hack, <laughs> uh, wrote a lengthy opinion where they explained how merely asking the government to defend itself was a irreparable breach of their rights. Not ruling against them, mind you, just asking them for their reasoning. And that brought us to uh, that brought us to the en banc hearing where the rest of the court, D.C. Circuit, ruled, you know, everyone else to two that that's absolutely absurd. Right. And and there was even in there when the Justice Department decided that it was going to kind of blow this case up five seconds before Flynn was finally sentenced. Judge Sullivan appointed retired Judge John Gleason as um, and amicus to kind of make the case to interrogate why the Justice Department had behaved so irregularly. And Judge Gleason, um, as the amicus, found that there was kind of blatant, inappropriate conduct. And so Judge Sullivan wanted to kind of look into this further. And that was the point at which Flynn's counsel, um, Sidney Powell, kind of jumped in and demanded mandamus from the appeals court, which is what Judge Rao and um, Judge Henderson kind of gave her, sort of rescued Flynn from, and, and more to the point, rescued the Justice Department from having to explain itself and explain its totally irregular behavior. And her reasoning was that, you know, in theory, the writ of mandamus is an extraordinary remedy and, and, and it's kind of discretionary, right? You don't you don't demand a rubber stamp from a federal judge. Um, but and and the writ of mandamus should only kind of be awarded when there's a final something, right? Either either Flynn was incarcerated or he was sentenced or whatever, and you don't have any other re adequate remedy. Here, what writ of mandamus was supposed to prevent was just a briefing, which that's, you know, that's crazy. Everybody knows that's crazy. And that's what the en banc panel said that, you know, I mean, other than Judges Rao and Henderson, that they said, this is not how it goes. And you have other remedy. If, if Judge Sullivan actually does something besides order a briefing that you don't like, you can appeal, um, yeah. which is what normal defendants do. Right. So we're we're now at a stage where theoretically, if Judge Sullivan goes through, the, he sees this briefing and determines, fine, the government, you have every power to put a stop to this and we'll just move on, uh, then that can happen and then it'll be over. Uh, and if the judge does not do that and instead says, this is ridiculous, 
he's confessed. I don't care that you don't want to pursue anymore. It's my court now, and here's the sentence. Then they can appeal again. Uh, and it's unclear what the breakdown of the D.C. Circuit would be under those circumstances. Obviously, right. two of the judges would not like it. Uh, the right. One of the concurring judges uh, will not have this job by the time that happens, uh, but he has been replaced by Lil Skippy, um, Mitch McConnell's <laughs> little little uh, intern. I know. So, yeah, uh, he's like 18 or something. Yeah, so we'll assume that, that that's going that direction. Uh, but the other judges, even the, one, the rest of the majority, did not actually opine correctly on how they would rule in that circumstance. They just said, this doesn't, you know, this isn't at that point yet. So... It's I mean, look, um, ongoing. Right. Look, we all know where this is going. Flynn is going to get off. Everybody knows that's where this is headed. And I wish it weren't that way because I think, you know, he's confessed. He pled down, which means that, you know, he got he didn't get charged with any of the Farrah violations, which he also allocated to. He's not going to go to jail. Nothing bad is going to happen to Michael Flynn. The only issue here is whether the Justice Department gets to walk away from this thing without embarrassing itself by having to explain what it did. And that's that's the you know, that's really what we're talking about here. Is the Justice Department going to have to say, yeah, we really made a totally political decision here and treated Flynn unlike any other defendant. So if the issue is, does the Justice Department have the right not to be embarrassed? Well, no, I don't I don't think so. And I you know, that's that's really what we're talking about here. It remains mind boggling that the administration doesn't just pull the trigger and pardon him. Uh, if if all they want to do sure is put a stop to this. I'm sure that's coming November 4, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean like, yeah. We all know that's coming. No, no, no matter what happens November 4, there's going to be a raft of pardons. But clearly, Trump didn't want to expend the political capital to do it before the election. And simultaneously, he wanted to save Flynn from having to go to jail. So this was kind of what Bill Barr could cook up the way that he did, you know, after he kind of got rid of the U.S. attorney for D.C. and U.S. attorney, as he tried to do for New York, he's kind of tried to tried to help Trump in these very political ways and pretend that Flynn was entitled to protections unlike any other defendant. Like, these are just laughable defenses. So the issue here is, will the Justice Department have to be embarrassed because it has to explain itself? And, yeah. you know, that's not really compelling. Like, you don't want to be embarrassed. That's not really a compelling legal theory. I mean, it's on the topic of being embarrassed, it's just so... They've been so lazy, so sloppy uh, about right. all of these efforts. Uh, that's right. what really, like, uh, there's a small part of me that, like, I don't care as much as, like, like I do care about the substance of what they're doing. But there's there's a small part of me that's like, this is really about form, man. Like, if you're going to do something shady, you know, at least do it right. Uh, and it seems as though consistently, the Justice Department, both under Sessions and Barr, has just done everything wrong. I mean, this is what we had on the Supreme Court, uh, right. the DACA case, right? It was just, right. you people can't figure out even how to do the bad jobs you want to do. It's, I mean, thank God for it, right? Like, yeah. how much, I mean, I guess, how much yeah. worse could it be if there were somebody competent as opposed to just a bunch of unitary executive hacks kind of trying to implement whatever nutball, you know, order yeah. Trump barks out after watching Fox and Friends? It's it's so weird that they just can't uh, that they can't get it right. Like it, and you know that we were talking about reflection on the the profession, and that's yeah, that's one. Like, come on, man, uh, you got to figure this out. Yeah, truly.
How have law firms weathered previous economic downturns and come out stronger on the other side? LexisNexis Interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn, lessons learned during previous economic crises. Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans, and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again. All right, so now let's talk about two of America's finest lawyers, two real American heroes, uh, Lynn Wood and John Pierce. Uh, these these fine uh, exemplars of our profession are representing Kyle Rittenhouse, the kid who decided to take a machine gun to Kenosha and kill people. Um, but it's not just that they're representing him. Both of them have... Um, have interesting takes on how this operates, right? Yeah, they sure That's do. That's fair to say. I, is, is it normal for criminal lawyers to put out like a 700-word statement detailing all of the factual scenario as they would like to present it before he's even been extradited to the state? I mean, it's really bizarre. And and it's, it's of a piece with all of these kind of culture war cases that we see consistently in the Trump era where the Justice Department and the justice system has kind of been perverted in ways that make a public relations strategy look like a viable legal strategy. And so lawyers who who should know better go and, and issue these long-winded statements where they kind of lay out their whole theory of the case in ways that are super incendiary and kind of not perhaps consonant with regular legal practice. Yeah. And I mean, this is for a long time, this has been a strategy that Alan Dershowitz has has believed in uh, this predating this administration. That was part of his historic career to wage the war in the press strategies. But this is very, as you said, very tailored. Uh, they understand that certain statements can shape a narrative that is on right. a TV channel that potentially a president might watch, and that right. has value to them. Right. I mean, so here's a little bit from this statement. It says, Kyle did nothing wrong. He exercised his God-given constitutional common law and statutory law right to self-defense. However, in a reactionary rush to appease the divisive, destructive forces currently roiling this country, prosecutors in Kenosha did not engage in any meaningful analysis of the facts or any in-depth review of available footage. It just goes on and on and yeah. on. And it's so overwrought. Um, and so it's you know, as as we've been discussing as a, as, as, a, as a theme, it's really not a great reflection on the profession. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, John Pierce, who had a firm called Pierce Bainbridge that he still claims to have, though I'm not it's altogether sure. It's a going sh- concern. I'm not, it, it is a going concern. I'm not altogether sure anyone works there anymore, but other than him, but it is, it is certainly a law firm. Uh, and uh-huh. he's also in this case. Now, he wrote uh, his own statement, uh, which you won't be able to find because Twitter took it off. Um, because it violated all sorts of policies. And he's going to sue. He's going to sue, darn it. Fair enough. Uh, so, so what this statement was, uh, that I don't really know off the top of my head how to get into this. He went further than even the long-winded statement and declared that this kid was the moral equivalent of the person who started the Revolutionary War. He said, Kyle Rittenhouse will go down in American history alongside that brave, unknown patriot at Lexington Green who fired the shot heard round the world on April 19, 1775. A second American revolution against tyranny has begun. Totally normal stuff for a lawyer. 
Yeah. Right. And and by the way, if you're trying to kind of if you're going to put forward a self-defense plea for your client or kind of you're going to make that case, it's a little bit um maybe not so helpful to come out with and say that he's part of a revolution and that he kind of showed up there to defend against tyranny. Yeah, it's very it's very disturbing. Uh, and it does kind of suggest that there's a mindset at play here that is more than, you know, I mean, that uh, we'll, we'll just go ahead and say there's a race war mindset uh right playing in a lot of this that there's a revolution that needs to be fought which i don't know is a revolution's the right answer uh rehash of the civil war is probably more accurate uh but right. that's what they're that's how they right. want to talk about it in, in what universe is in a, i mean look i have three teenagers in what universe isn't it acceptable course of events for a 17 year old from illinois to cross state lines and be handed an automatic weapon and run around the streets patrolling it, having deputized himself as sort of the the auxiliary law enforcement official against what he terms anarchist rioters. Like, I mean, I understand that Tucker Carlson would sort of like to stoke the flames of this by saying things like, well, if he doesn't do, you know, in the absence of law enforcement, our children are leading us in this direction. But as a parent, like, that's just totally inappropriate. And as a lawyer, I don't like to see the law taken into the hand of teenage vigilantes. Right, right. Uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, look, it, if anything, I, it's hard to suggest that the problem in Kenosha was police not willing to shoot people. So right. I, like, clearly that's not the problem. So the idea that there was some sort of open window for people to step up is purely absurd. Right. And... um I mean, you know, this is a, an issue that just came out this morning or, or yesterday when Trump released that memorandum that he was going to try and defund all of the anarchist cities where the police are coming back. Like the people are on the street protesting because they think the police need to pull back, not because they have pulled back. They're not right. protesting police inaction. They're protesting active violence, or that is what they perceive anyway, by the police. Yeah. So just a, a real quick con law reminder, no, the president can't declare that certain cities he doesn't want to give money to because he doesn't like them. That's also illegal. See, 10th yeah, Amendment. It, yeah, it's, um, it's, I, I feel constantly when talking, when I get these sorts of memos come across my desk and I get asked questions by non-lawyers about them, I feel like Walter from Big Lebowski when he's talking about the ferret. Uh, and it's like, and they broke into your house or whatever. He's like, and then, you know, keeping a aquatic mammal, you know, that in city limits, that's that's illegal too. Like, I, like you get to a point where you're you're so far down the rabbit hole of things that are a problem. Right. I mean, we've reached we've reached the Mad King stage here, where Trump, you know, kind of barks out nonsense like Antifa is a terrorist, domestic terrorist, and like we're gonna, you know, make Twitter not be allowed to censor conservatives, and it's you know it's nonsense. All of the adults, to the extent that there were adults, have left the White House, and now you've got all of these kind of lackeys who dutifully type out like this is a memo that's going to do exactly what you want. Mr. President, even though, you know, it's nothing. It's nonsense. Yeah, it is. It is weird how there's just not any adult supervision. Even like Kellyanne the, Conway has left the building. Yeah. Ugh. Mother um, of the year. And that, yes, well, that's a whole, that's a whole other, uh, mm -hmm. whole other thing. I, I, I've met George a couple of times uh, and he's a very 
funny, gregarious, engaging person. And I constantly think, as I watch how everything has played out in this administration, I constantly think, how did you get to this point? (laughs) What what, what turn went? (laughs) You know what? Look, you got on the bus and you stayed on that bus. And this is the destination. You know, this is the result of 25 years of double down, double down, double down. You know, if you couldn't hop off the bus when Sarah Palin was your nominee. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have limited sympathy because you don't like the neighborhood you wound up in. Yeah. 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 I think that's I think that's fair. All right. So, um, yeah. So what do we got? We I, that that's pretty much everything. Unless while we've been talking, something else went wrong. I don't think it I'm has. Sure. While we went, we were talking, something else went wrong. Come I, on. I've got I've got it. Four gotten, years, dude. I've got notifications popping, but they all seem to be about bar exams and stuff. So I think we're OK. So, yes, thank you for joining today, Liz. And also thank all of you for listening. Uh, you should be subscribed to the show. You should give it reviews, stars, as well as write something about it. Uh, all those little words prove you're engaged. And when it proves you're engaged, a little robot algorithm goes, hey, this is something people listen to. And then it suggests it to more people, which Do is a good Do it for the bots. Thing. Yeah, like it's all about it's all about impressing AI. With all that said, uh, you should be reading above the law as always. You should follow us. I'm at Joseph Patrice. You're at some form of five dollar feminist, right? I just, yep, with uh, the five as a, as a number. The five is a numeral. I was like, I I always try to clarify that part. So five dollar feminist uh, with five being a numeral. You should also read Wonkette, where she appears more frequently. Every bloody like day. Yeah. So with uh, that said, you should listen to the Jabot and the ATL COVID cast, our other show about COVID and the law. You should listen to the other offerings, the Legal Talk Network. Check out Paper Software, uh, who has sponsored this show, their contract tools. Uh, you can go to their website and see. You should also check out the new report from LexisNexis Interaction on previous economic crises. And with all of that said, I think we're done and we will be back next week talking to Rick Hassan. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.